Now, one of the great truths of the Christian faith is that Jesus will return and set all things right. People will be eating and sleeping. People will be going to school and going to work. People will be married. People will be bearing their loved ones. And then one day, the king will return and in an instant, everything will be turned upside down or right way up. And this return is not a myth. It's not something Christians have made up. It's not wishful thinking. The return of the king is firmly anchored in the Bible. The founders of the early church taught Jesus would return and the first Christians and Christians ever since have believed that Jesus will come again. And one of the reasons we do so is because Jesus had so much to say about his return and that he would come again. But this is something we should bother about, the coming of the king. Though it's widely held by Christians, those outside the church think we're a little on the crazy side when we talk of Jesus coming again. So isn't it just a wind-up? Isn't it just something else for those outside the church to ridicule or ignore us about? Shouldn't we stick to things that we agree on with those people outside the church? And even within the church there's controversy about when and how Jesus will come and has stirred up many a heated debate, if not splitting churches over this. So isn't it best that we just let it lie? But apart from the fact that Jesus had so much to say about it, there is a significant impact on our faith and our daily walk as we remind ourselves that Jesus will come again. And these were some of the thoughts that came through my mind or went through my mind last term when we were looking at the Disney movie The Lion King. Back then we saw how Mufasa, the king, gave up his life to save Simba and how this related to Jesus giving up his life for us. But I'm also aware of a second big theme that runs through that movie, and it's the return of the king. How Simba one day would grow up and return and set things right. So today we're going to sit alongside that Disney movie, the scripture, the Bible, to help us better understand how Jesus will return. Jesus, referred to as the Lion of Judah in Revelation, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who will one day put all things back together and right way up. And so we'll get back into the movie. After his death, young Simba escapes into the desert. Now believing that Simba will die, the hyenas don't bother chasing. They're too lazy to chase Simba into the desert. They think he will die of thirst. So they return to Scar and explain to him Simba is already dead. But he doesn't. He's rescued by a couple of friends. Do any of the children know who the two friends are that rescue him? Yes. Yeah, Timon and Pumbaa. A meerkat and a warthog rescue the young Simba. And they become fast friends. And they live a carefree and fun life. Until Simba is reunited with the lioness Nala. Nala has been living in the Pride Lands and she has had to range far and wide to find food because things are very grim. Under Scar's wicked reign, the Pride Lands are a mess. Grim and dark and desolate, food is scarce, injustice and corruption make the animals miserable. So Nala challenges Simba 
the rightful king to return and put all things right. At first, Simba refuses, but then... Have you guys seen Simba? I thought he was with you. He was, but now I can't find him. Where is he? (laughs) You won't find him here. (laughs) The king has returned. I can't believe it. It's awful, isn't it? I didn't want to believe you. What made you come back? I finally got some sense knocked into me. And I've got the bump to prove it. Besides, this is my kingdom. I laugh in the face of danger. <laughs> I see nothing funny about this. Timon, Pumbaa, what are you doing here? At your service, my liege. Oh, we're going to fight your uncle for this. Yes, Timon. This is my home. Oh, talk about your fixer-upper. Well, Simba, if it's important to you, we're with you to the end. Please, please have mercy, I beg you. You don't deserve to live. But, Simba, I am family. It's the hyenas who are the real enemy. It was their fault. It was their idea. Why should I believe you? Everything you ever told me was a lie. What are you going to do? You wouldn't kill your old uncle. No, Scar. I'm not like you. Oh, Simba, thank you. You are truly noble. I'll make it up to you, I promise. Um, How can I uh, prove myself to you? Tell me, I mean, anything. Run. Run away, Scar. And never return. Yes. Of course. As you wish, Your Majesty. Oh, my friends. Friends? I thought. 
thought he said we were the enemy. Yeah, that's what I heard. Ed? <laughs> no, let, no let, 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 let me explain. No, you don't understand. No, I didn't mean... No, no, I didn't mean... lovely montage of uh, movie clips, isn't it? And it follows the pattern of Jesus' return because we saw the king return, the king triumph, and the king reign. And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus will return. He will triumph and he will reign. And we're going to look at what the Bible says about all those three things, the return of Jesus, the triumph of Jesus, and the reign of Jesus. And so we look at the king returning and we think, well, how is that possible? I mean, Jesus is dead, isn't he? He died on the cross. He didn't pretend, he didn't swoon, you know, he wasn't in a coma to be revived later. He wasn't on an operating table and then had some very clever medical staff revive him after he stopped breathing. He was stone cold dead and laid in the tomb. How could the king possibly return? And of course the good news of the gospel is he returns because of Easter, of Easter Sunday and the resurrection. And as Jesus disappeared into the clouds, that final ascension, and the angel turned to the disciples and said, as you have seen him go, so he will return. And we see this played out in our passage today in Mark chapter 13. It's a day or two before Jesus' death. During that week, he is uh, living uh, at the foot of the Mount of Olives. That's his accommodation, and every day he travels down the the Kidron Valley and into the city of Jerusalem. And one night, or one late afternoon on the way home, they travel, and they're on the Mount of Olives, and they rest. And they look back over the valley and there they see Jerusalem in all its glory and the temple prominent. And the conversation between Jesus and his disciples is about the end times and what will happen. And Jesus says, Mark chapter 13 verse 5, Watch out, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he 
and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. And then Jesus continues through the next few paragraphs and explains how grim it will be. And we pause for a moment to remind ourselves about how bad things were in the pride lands for Simba. Before Simba, the true king came to set things right. And in the pride lands, there was drought and darkness and little food and injustice, trouble upon trouble. And Jesus tells us here in this passage that things will be grim before he returns as well. And he uses the term like birth pains. And then when Jesus finishes describing how grim it was, in verse 26, Mark 13, 26, he says, At that time men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory. At the time men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And this is it. Jesus promises to return in clouds with great power and glory. And there are a couple of points here to note. Jesus will repeat exactly the same claim to return in clouds in his trial before the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders. In fact, it is this claim that he will come in clouds of glory that is the final straw in the trial. It is at this claim that the high priest declares blasphemy. This man deserves death. And so it was very important to Jesus to make it clear that he would return again. And the second thing here is the phrase Son of Man. Jesus is the only person who refers to the Son of Man in in the Gospels, and he's referring to himself. No one calls him the Son of Man. It is his favourite title for himself. Other people call him the Son of God. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. And he does this because this hooks into an Old Testament prophecy found in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, this was a few hundred years before Jesus, and the prophet Daniel says, uh, chapter 7 verse 13, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God, and was led into his presence. And he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. That's worship the Son of Man. His dominion is everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so when Jesus says here and in his trial that he is the Son of Man coming in clouds of glory, he's referring back to this passage in Daniel. And that's why the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders cried out blasphemy because he was claiming to be the fulfilment of this prophecy in Daniel. And so, just as Simba returned to the pride lands, so will Jesus return to earth. And just as Simba found things very grim, so will Jesus. However, the king will triumph. Now, Simba had a wicked uncle and hordes of hyenas to deal with. So who is Jesus up against? Well, he's up against Satan and his multitudes of demons. And we are not privy 
to the supernatural confrontation between the demons and the angels that occurs every day. We get glimpses in the Bible of this supernatural battle, confrontation, until we get to the book of Revelation, when all sorts of puzzling and dramatic and amazing descriptions of that battle are described. Until we get to Revelation chapter 19, where we will see the king triumph. This referring to Jesus, this is towards the end of Revelation in chapter 19 verse 11. And I saw heaven standing open and there before me on a white horse was a rider called Faithful and True. And of course that's Jesus. With justice he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns and has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. And he is dressed in a robe dripped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him and riding on their horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the wine priest of fury of the wrath of the almighty God. On his robe and on his thigh he has the names or the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In Revelation 19 and 20 there is the last battle, the great battle, the battle to end all battles until Satan is vanquished. And we read in chapter 20 verse 10 of Revelation, And the devil who deceived him was thrown into the lake of burning fire where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so just as we saw played out before us that last battle between Simba and Scar, Revelation describes the last battle between Jesus and Satan. And though there are many puzzling things in Revelation, one thing is not puzzling, and that is victory is guaranteed to Jesus. There is no doubt. In the Disney movie, we weren't quite sure what was going to happen in that final fight. You know, would Simba win or Scar? And maybe Scar would survive and and sneak away and live to fight another day. But when it comes to Jesus and Satan, there is no doubt that Satan will be vanquished. He will be destroyed. There is no second chance. Jesus will win and be victorious. So we see Jesus will return in clouds of glory. He will triumph over Satan and his hordes. And then we also see that Jesus will reign. And he will rule over the kingdoms of the earth and in heaven. And it won't be just the desolate and the damaged earth, but a completely renewed earth. And we saw a little bit of that in that final clip, that when Simba reigned, the desolation of the pride land was reversed through the rain and the new growth. But it will be different for us. So even though when Christ comes, it will be a return to Eden, the Garden of Eden, it will be perfect. And we remember that before the fall, Adam used to walk with God in the cool of the evening and talk with him. And certainly when Jesus comes again, we will be restored to that cool of the evening and walking and talking with God. But it will be new and better and more magnificent because Revelation describes how heaven and earth are not only renewed, but they join together so that there will be no separation. We see this in Revelation 21, 
verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful and dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. So you see this return to Eden, in that creation will be renewed but much better, but we also see God will be with his people. No more separation as we do now, but God and us face to face. And so what's the practical? What's the take home? And what are we to do with this? Well, first of all, in worship, because we worship Christ the King who came the first time to make us right with God through the cross and he will return a second time to put all things right. And that is who we worship. He who will come, who will triumph and will reign. But not only do we worship, but we take the rest of Jesus' word seriously. For on that conversation on the Mount of Olives, the conversation that we saw acted out by the youth today, Jesus says these words in Mark chapter 13 from verse 33. Be on guard, be alert, you do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his inside task, and tells one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the cock crows or at dawn. If he suddenly, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And so not only do we worship Christ who will return triumph and reign, but we are watching, we are waiting, we are making the most of our opportunities to serve him and to honour him. He's given us each gifts and he doesn't want us to sit on them, he wants us to exercise them within a fellowship like this within the local church, making a difference in Cromwell for his kingdom. We have so much to do. We have gifts to use, prayers to pray, people to serve and acts of kindness to show. And it's because we love Christ and because he has captivated the affections of our heart that our deepest desire is to be found in serving him, worshipping him, delighting in him, when one day he returns in his glory in the clouds. Let's pray.